Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here's a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Good morning. Let's get to it. Ephesians chapter 6. These are the key verses that we're launching off of each and every week as we continue in our Activate Your Armor series. Starting in verse 10, it says this. This is Paul's instruction to real people. It was the church. It was the people that were meeting in a city called Ephesus. So he's writing to the Ephesians, explaining how the battle is done. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So how many of you know, it's not us that has the power, right? It's in his mighty power that we are to be strong. It says, put on the full armor. We've done this for three weeks now. Say full armor. Which means he doesn't want you to be missing a piece of it. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Some translations say all of the devil's schemes, which means there's not one thing out there that the devil is trying to do in your life that God does not want you to have victory over. We, sometimes we look at like the joy of Jesus and the freedom uh, that other people have and the joy that other people have, and the, you almost think like it's impossible for you to have. But if we come into contact with these verses and we actually receive them and believe them as truth, then we will know that those things are accessible to us also. Strength in his mighty power is accessible to us that we can have victory over every single scheme that the enemy throws our way. He goes on to say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rollers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So it's an unseen battle that's going on. That's what the battle is. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. So he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, which we talked about two weeks ago, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, which we talked about last week, and this week with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So our feet are to be shod or fitted with readiness, with preparation that comes because we have the gospel message to share with people. It says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which is next week, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming. Say, all of the flaming. All of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Isn't that wild? Well, I just had a bad day. Listen, see, I get, I get the grace part of it. I get the, like, don't feel bad and don't, don't walk in shame and guilt and condemnation. But how about if we went to sleep one day not having excuses for allowing an error to come through? Right? What if we said, you know what? I had my shield up the entire day and not one arrow came through. A lot came at me, but not one of them came past that shield. Verse 17, is that where I am? Yes. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's in just a few weeks from now. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requ prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Say, be alert. Be alert. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So we're talking about the shoes of peace today. This is, this is the readiness that we're supposed to have because of what Paul calls the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is the same thing as the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it's worded in a lot of different phrases throughout scripture, but it's the message of Jesus bringing the kingdom of God for our salvation, 
our healing, and our deliverance. What all of that does is when we have our feet ready to move forward to share, and we have that readiness and that preparation, and we're sharing this gospel of peace, what it does is it brings people who are at war with God into peace with God. That's why they're calling this the gospel of peace. In fact, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and as I was preparing my sermon, the Lord spoke to me, and he says, you know, when we walk in peace, it's actually violence toward the enemy. So peace is not like soft and let everybody run over you. And I just live at peace. Everybody does whatever they want to me. That's not what peace is, right? Peace is strength in the Lord, not affected by the enemy's attack. So when you're walking, because listen, the devil loves strife, division, anger, hatred, bigotry, prejudice. He loves all that stuff. So when we choose to walk in peace throughout our life, it's actually committing violence against the enemy. What he wants to accomplish isn't working because we're not letting it affect us. So there's power walking in the peace of God. There's power. In fact, in uh, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. So the peacemakers, it's not just resolving conflict between two people. That's good that you're a peacemaker in that way. You can also be a peacemaker with someone's heart. Let's say they're struggling with someone and you minister to their heart. Now they're at a place of peace. And the third aspect of being a peacemaker is you're taking somebody who, who does not know the Lord Jesus as, as their Lord, as their savior, and you're bringing them into a place of peace with them. We can be peacemakers in multiple ways. So these are shoes of peace. So we're talking about the foot gear here of a Roman soldier that Paul is giving. Remember, they understood exactly how a Roman soldier would have been dressed in those days. So as he's giving them examples and comparisons, they're like, oh, this makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm learning even as I'm going along here. I did not know this part, but in the Roman, foot, in the Roman soldier had foot gear. It had two main parts. The first one was metal armor that covered pretty much either right above their knee right below their knee, all the way to their shin. So it was, a, it was like a metal shield for each of their shins, their lower leg, and it had felt on the inside of it. So they get attacked, it would bounce off. And then the second one was, oh, that was called a greave. They, they were called greaves, G-R-E-A-V-E-S. So they wore those. And at the same time, they put on either a sandal or a shoe that covered their foot. Now, when you look at this piece of armor, they would have put it on at the same time. So somebody's not walking around just with the greaves, but no shoes. And the soldier would never go out with just the shoes or sandals, but no greaves. Because these shoes of peace, the foot gear that the Roman soldier offered, both two things, empowerment and protection, all in one. It was empowerment and protection. The illustration that the Lord gave me uh, was somewhat like soccer. We have spikes and we have shin guards. I told Pastor Adam, I said, one thing I never thought I would do as a pastor is order mannequin legs, but I did. <laughs> so in soccer, if you're just playing in the backyard, it's okay to not have shin guards. If you're playing a real game, you better have your spikes on or you're not empowered to move down the field and to cut and to slide and to, to, to kick the ball and to pass the ball. You need your spikes or they're going to outrun you and the other team will win. Do you know that you could actually have more skill, but if you don't have the proper equipment on, you'll lose the game? Isn't that crazy? You could be better than them, but if you're sliding all around because you have no footing and you can't get the ball down the field, you'll lose. How many of you know you could be way better than the other team, but if you don't have shin guards on and somebody who's a lot less skilled than you walks up to you and goes, right in the shin, you're out of the game. 
right? So we have to have our shoes and we also have to have our shin guards on or we'll lose the battle. So there's empowerment and there's protection. We're gonna talk about empowerment first. At the end of the service, we will have an opportunity for you to come down just to have one of the pastors, elder, somebody from the, uh, the, the altar team just to pray over you for this aspect of empowerment, uh, just more of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for more of his power to be able to move the ball down the field. What the gospel of peace is, is taking all of the darkness that the enemies put in this world and we're pushing it back as we move forward. So we need to have good grip on our feet, right? If we wanna make forward progress and push back darkness, then we need to have this equipment on. So the way that we do this is that we are ambassadors of Christ. The way we move the gospel forward, that we advance. In fact, even in our mission statement, what are we empowered to do? To live supernaturally so we can advance the kingdom of God everywhere we go. That means we're not playing church inside this room and then when we go out there, we're not Christians anymore. No, every single place we go, we keep our spikes on, we keep our shin guards on and we push back darkness any opportunity we have until we see the goal is that his glory would cover the earth. Right, so instead of complaining about how dark the world is, be the light, push back darkness. Put your, put your spikes on, let's move the ball. Second Corinthians 5.18 talks about our ministry that God has given us. And without him, we're nothing. With him, we have this ministry. It says all of this is from God. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter five. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That word reconcile is to take two parts that are apart and bring them together. So what this is, is there's, there's, we, were at, we were enemies with God. We were at war with God when we rebelled against God whenever we weren't following him as Lord and Savior, Jesus as Lord and Savior. So through Christ, we were reconciled to God. Now that we're reconciled to God, you've been given the baton of the ministry of reconciliation. Right, so so many people, well, I'm not called to the ministry. Yes, you are. Every single believer, 100% of you are called into the ministry of reconciliation. Well, I don't know a lot of scripture. Take what you have and go. I keep thinking, the Lord keeps bringing this back to me. The demoniac, this guy had a legion of demons, thousands of demons inside of him, cut himself, he'd live in the caves and so on. Jesus comes across the waters. He goes and he delivers this man. He's sitting in his right mind. The entire village is freaked out now because the demoniac is now sitting there in his right mind. The guy wants to go with Jesus because Jesus brought freedom to him. He says, no, go back to your own people and tell them what has happened to you. He didn't give him the Bible. He didn't give him, take him through a, a nine-month course. He was now equipped with what he had, the little bit that he had, the freedom that he had to go and allow other people to be reconciled with God. We gotta quit making excuses. You're called to the ministry. You might just be paid to be a contractor. You might be paid to be a teacher. You might be paid to do something else, but we're all in the ministry. Verse 19, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to, use the, or committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And that always amazes me, that the God of all creation would use us, broken people who mess up, who make mistakes, Right? And he's saying, I, God, way up in heaven, has placed his spirit 
way down here inside of us. And he's saying, I'm gonna use you guys. Like, what, me? And he's gonna use us with the message, with the appeal to get right with God. That means it can happen at any time. You don't need the nice binder. You don't need to have your church clothes on. At any time, you can make an appeal to somebody to get right with God. So it says here, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, which means be at peace with God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We read that verse last week when we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when we look into the context of it, we're ambassadors because of what has happened to us. So we might understand these truths. We might live righteous lives, but Paul is saying strap on your boots and get moving. Do something with your life, right? So a soccer player does not put, I wanna thank Levi for the shoes and Sam for the shin guards today. We don't put spikes on and then walk around our living room with them. In fact, you don't put spikes on and walk into church. You put spikes on for a purpose. And it's to go, it's to work that ball down the field and to score goals, and to beat your opponent. Or you have spikes on, if somebody's coming at you with the ball, that you have enough footing that you can slide over and you can block that, the uh, attacker from coming and getting the ball past you. But the object is to have those on for a purpose, right? So how can we live? How can we strap these foot gear on? Really four simple ways that I just wanna point out to you about how we can be ambassadors for Jesus. The first one is to live a life that is pleasing to God. Right? So some of you, you get so like, worked up with, well, wh- I, I, don't, I don't know how to share my testimony. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know all these words to say. Live a life that's pleasing to God and he's going to open up doors for you, right? We, and we do, we have to stop looking outside at the world, people that are lost and like saying, it's so dark, it's so dark, it's so dark. Complaining about them. We have to be part of the solution. Like God's put you on this earth to make an appeal through right? I was reminded of Michael Jackson's words today. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Yeah. You don't want to hear me sing. You don't want to hear me sing. And I'm not going to moonwalk either. (laughs) I am. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of looking at the news. Everybody has something to blame on somebody else. Even the church. We're blaming people that don't know Jesus. They have no morals in their life. What in the world are we blaming them for? So dark, it's so dark, it's so this, it's so this. All right, let's look at ourselves, make a change, let's live a life that's pleasing to God, ask God to open doors. Second way is to serve other believers. There's no reason why we should expect people who are lost and hurting to come into this church or to come into, even more importantly, the body of Christ if we don't know how to treat each other well. Right? So yes, I believe in missions and evangelism and all that kind of stuff, but it is important that we serve one another well and with humility. This is how we can have our shoes on. This is how we can wear our spikes. It's how we can empower, be empowered with ourselves first. You get geared up, you're ready to go, and you serve the people. You serve your team well. Third way is to free the captives. Right? This is when we're advancing. This is when we're pushing back. We're not trying to beat a, a, a physical opponent. We're trying to beat the enemy. We know that, he, that God's already won through the blood of Jesus. Now we are annihilating his works here on the earth so that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The fourth way is to transform culture. And I don't know that the American church has truly seen this in effect yet. Because we'll see people be born again inside the church and we'll have like outreach events and we'll have you know, little pockets. But when we actually see multiplication in the kingdom of God, which means I'm growing to a point where I'm pouring out into other people and they are growing to a point where they're pouring out into other people. We now see a multiplication effect. And that what happens is the people that I have no access to and you do, or the people that you have access to has access to. Now we start to see teachers, government officials, and so on start to get their lives changed, not because they're sitting inside of a church, but because somebody that is in the church, that's part of the church, that is the church, is going out to them. That's what it's saying. I'm like strapping my shoes on, not so you can teach me, teach me, teach me, but so that I can go out and pour out into other people until they're willing and able to pour out into others. This is what our shoes are for. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, see, we are, we are to have our feet fitted with readiness. Our feet aren't fitted with the gospel. Our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we know our lives have been changed from the gospel, so now we're ready. So our feet aren't, like, we're not like showing up like, hey, look at my spikes, aren't they Nice. Our spikes are getting us where we need to be so we can speak to people, minister to people. It's not always like, if you would die today, would you go to heaven or hell? This is like, be kind to people when you're out. Ask somebody if they need prayer. Ask the Lord, what do you want? What can I say to this person? What do you say? They look down, downtrodden, they look sad. What are, you say, what are you saying to them that I could say to them? That you don't have to say, thus saith the Lord, and hit them. Right? Hey, you look like you're a little bit down today. Can I encourage you with this? You might just watch somebody break in tears right in front of you. Hey, let me pray with you. You might not know this, but I'm a Christian. I, I follow Jesus. And even the word Christian, I was just actually, I think, talking to Isabella about this. There's so many people that will say they're Christians. That's like almost like the catchphrase. I'm a Christian. I just want to make sure I have, I have fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. There's a big difference between what people in society will say they're Christians or I'm currently following Jesus. I'm following the ways of my master. It's a lot different. Let them know you follow Jesus. So in 1 Peter 3.15, it says this. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone. I love that. Like there's no excuses here. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. This does not need to be 16 points written on note cards. This is relationship. Like, hold on, let me get my PowerPoint out and tell you why I have hope, right? Like be relational with somebody. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your mouth. If you feel like you are ill-equipped, you'll get so nervous in these conversations. Instead of saying, God, just use what I already have and let me get better along the way. So it says here, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It does not say you shame them. It says that they would be ashamed of the slander that they're projecting against you because of the good works that you have. So listen, it says here to do this with gentleness and respect. We have to stop arguing people into the kingdom or fearing them into the kingdom. If they are asking you about the hope that you have, talk with them, relate to them. But it says here to do it with kindness and with gentleness. 
So we're following the Lord's roles as we're being ambassadors, right? It's kind of like if you have your spikes on and you're working your way down the field and you push somebody over in anger first, then take the shot and it, you score. Is that goal going to count? Absolutely not. You broke the roles. So some of us are bowling over people trying to argue them and you don't believe this and this and this. And we do it within the church too. Well, this denomination doesn't believe this and that's right and this is right. It's not what he's saying to do. You can stand up for truth and do it with gentleness and with respect. So this is the result, is that we become a sweet aroma to God, and we become a sweet aroma to people who are open to the gospel. When we put our shoes on, put our spikes on, strap them on tight, and push back darkness. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says this, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ, no longer captives to this world or sin in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us. So thanks be to God who uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. So as ambassadors, we're spreading the aroma of the knowledge of God everywhere. It says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. We're supposed to smell like Christ with our lifestyle and with our words. It says among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. It says, to the ones who are, to, to one, we are an aroma that brings death, to the other, an aroma that brings life. It says, and who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent by God. So with our lives, with our shoes on, and we're ready to give an answer, and we're ready to minister, and we're ready to offer prayer, we're ready to share our testimony, we're ready to share what Christ has done in our life, we will actually smell like Jesus to people. We'll smell like life and eternal life to people who are ready. And we will smell like death to people who are rebelling, who are saying, I choose not to follow Jesus as Lord, and they're headed into eternal damnation. We will smell differently. I thought about that even after like a soccer game when you're sweaty and all, all stinky and stuff, you, get, you hug your, your teammates who ju you just won with. They're not like saying anything, but if you come next to an opponent that stinks really bad, it has a different odor to it, right? So we want, we understand that when we give off the aroma of Christ, not everybody's gonna receive that. We can't, we can't live with the responsibility of how other people live. We have to be responsible for ourselves. All right, let's go ahead over to the protection side of things. So we have our shin guards on. These greaves, like I said, they were metal and then they had felt inside of them. They understood that whether it was a spear, a rod, a horse, a person's, another person's boot, if you take out the shin, you're done. Like you could be a powerful warrior, but if you can't actually move forward in battle, you're done, you lose. So these aren't issues like of the heart so much as they are these attacks. Like I didn't see that coming and somebody took out my legs from underneath me. You've heard that saying before. Where you're like surprised, you don't know what happened. You're tripped up and now you're not effective anymore. So there are a few ways that there, that, well, I'm, I'm sure there's more than what I'm gonna share with you. But there's a few ways that I believe the enemy tries to trip us up. He gets our, he gets our spikes, you know, unlaced and untied. We start tripping over ourselves. We forget to put the shin guards on and we get kicked and we're like, my goodness, I can't be effective anymore. So the first way I wanna talk about the first attack that the enemy gives us is idleness. And I believe the defense for that is diligence. The devil wants you to waste your time. 
The devil wants you to look at your phones for an extra five minutes a day, watch one or two more TV shows, just max and relax for a few more hours. I'm not saying rest isn't important. It's extremely important. I don't think we get enough of it. But I think that we do it in, in ways that waste our brain cells instead of actually restore us, right? So if the, if the enemy can keep us idle, then we become consumers of everything. And I think that is one of the biggest attacks that the enemy has to the church is that we, have, we could potentially have hundreds of people sitting in here and with a lot of them, and I'm not, I'm not saying this as judgment against you guys at all. I'm saying in the church in general, where we consume, where we receive, we receive, we receive. Instead of, and then we become consumers because now if I'm receiving, what's my goal? My aim is how can I receive more? How can I receive better? And now if the air conditioning isn't right, if the golf cart isn't charged up the right way, if somebody took my seat, you know, whatever it is, I'm worried about that now because I need to consume. However, if we say, you know what, God, I believe because I'm ambassador, the enemy's trying to attack me with idleness, I'm going to be a producer, which now you're not receiving, receiving, you're receiving and producing, you're receiving and giving, you're receiving and pouring out. Does that make sense? I'm not looking like it doesn't have to be that you, you sign up for a certain ministry in the church so much as it is your intention is to pour back out what the Lord is giving you. I mean, can you picture that in America? If 100% of the people that called Jesus their Lord were focused on being producers for his kingdom, like this country would come to Christ like that. So Hebrews 6.11 says this, we want, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. The defense title on this is diligence. So, so that you can, so, or so that what you hope for may be fully realized. I mean, picture that. It's the same thing like with schoolwork, guys. You know, it's like you don't, you don't get your goal of an A. You don't, we don't get the, the raise that maybe you, you're trying to earn. You don't get what, you've, what you know you can fully realize if you're not diligent all the way to the very end. It says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit what has been promised. So we could say, I am committed to be diligent so that everything that's been promised to me in my life, I'm going to see through productivity. Amen? Amen? Hypocrisy is the second way that the enemy will try to attack us, and I believe the defense of this is authenticity. So what happens is the enemy tempts us to live in a way that's contrary to what we say we are as a Christian, as a Christ follower, right? So we, and what happens is we get like the holier-than-thou attitude then. It's like, well, look at them, well, look at them right? Instead of saying, listen, I know I make mistakes. I'm real. I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to uh, even, you know, debate at times if people want, or if people disagree, whatever it is. But there's an authenticity about who you have to be with other believers and with non-believers. If we're saying, you know, hey, we are this way and we have to live this way, but you're living like this, then people will see it. They'll know that you're a hypocrite. The devil will say, you can, you can call yourself a church member all you want, but if you're living a hypocritical life, we'll watch as your effectiveness goes down and down. The third one is infiltration and division. And the defense to this, I believe, is unity and a willingness to confront. So what the devil wants to do, he wants to create strife and division within the church. So sometimes he'll infiltrate from the outside and he'll have wolves and sheep's clothing come in It'll begin to spread lies, it'll begin to do things. And sometimes he'll do it from the inside out where people within the church will begin to create issues and so on that will start to be divisive and start to create a conflict within the church. And if you've been in the church for long enough, you know that there is massive and very, very hurtful and damaging church splits that happen. 
And usually, you know what it is? It's a Christian believing or a group of Christians believing that what they're doing is right. Another group believes that what they're doing is right. And then they split. The devil wants that to happen. And the Lord never wants that to happen unless it's on purpose to plant a new church or a new work, right? So we have to understand and we have to fight for unity. You know, Jesus talks about, I won't read the verses for the sake of time, but he talks about Matthew chapter 13, he tells a parable of a man who sowed good seed and these plants started to grow up. But at night, the enemy came in and he, he sowed weeds. And now that the weeds were growing up with the plants, the Lord was saying, or the, the owner of the, the land in the parable was saying, you can't, you can't pull out the weeds now. They're growing within. It's too late. So you had to wait till harvest time to pull everything out. Then the weeds would be burned and the good, uh, the good plants or the harvest would be saved. So what we want in a church is to fight for unity in such a way that nothing divides us. So when you think of infiltration, think of just your house and your family. If you were hanging out in your living room, and you, let's say it's you and, you and a spouse and two kids, and somebody, comes, somebody runs into your house, infiltrates your house, comes in to actually like attack you guys, you're not going to let that happen. Even if they walked in slowly. Like if somebody walked in slowly, like, yes, I'm here to destroy your life and destroy your family. Okay, since you're doing it calmly and quietly, we'll let you stay. <laughs> as soon as we've identified infiltration, we would bind together as a family, right? We would attack that thing, get him out or her out, whatever it is of the house. And then once that person was gone, what would the family all do? Would they be divided and arguing? No, they would hug each other. They would be more unified after the attack than they were before. We have to do that as a family. Look at the other side. Let's say it's from within. Let's say one of the kids is disrupting peace, disrupting peace, disrupting peace. At times, the parents have to remove them from that family room to go and sit until they calm down for the sake of the unity of the rest of the family. I believe as a church family, we need to understand the importance of unity. In Ephesians 4, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. How? Through the bond of peace. So we have to fight to stay at peace with one another. Why? Because people get on each other's nerves. Because people disagree at times. We do life differently. So we have to fight for peace. And that bond of peace keeps us unified. I do believe something that, that we need, need to realize in the church is biblical confrontation. Right? We say, well, we're not, we're not going to judge. You'll hear that statement a lot. And you've heard me say it. And I want to qualify something here. When we're talking about not judging, and Paul actually teaches on it in 1 Corinthians chapter five, he's talking about people outside the church. So if somebody comes in that lives different than us, looks different than us, however that is, we don't judge them. And there's a big difference between being a judgmental person and making a judgment against a person because they're walking in sin. So if we love each other and are, are, we're aggressively fighting for peace and to stay unified as a church family, we will confront when we see division happening. You don't have to be a pastor to do it. You're a Christian. You should be fighting for unity in our church family. I wanna read a couple of verses to you. In, in Titus chapter three, it says this, avoid foolish controversies. That'd be great, right? And genealogies. We don't really fight about gene genealogies anymore. And arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. So when somebody is creating these arguments and causing division, it says, this is teachings to the church. Warn a divisive person once 
and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. So what's happening in that, in that place? That means that somebody was willing to confront somebody else that was divisive. They talked to them, didn't listen, talked to them again. You know this matches Matthew, 18, Matthew chapter 18? Say yes if some of you know what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 18, toward the end of that chapter, I believe it's Jesus says, if someone sins against you, go to them in private, talk to them. If they're restored, great, you move on. If that person fails to repent, you bring somebody else with them as a witness. If that doesn't work, you bring them in front of the church or church leadership, however that, that hashes out. And if they still won't repent, you get them out of the church. Now that would seem so rude in today's era. You kicked them out of the church? You judgmental, Right? Oh, that'd be all over social media, all over the newspaper. You judgmental Christian. You, I thought your God was a God of love. No, read our Bible. If we're protecting unity in the church family, then that, that is confrontation. That is discipline. Amen. You don't believe me. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it gets uncomfortable when we talk about it because we're all about like the God, God of love. His goodness is coming after you. His goodness is coming after Yeah, he loves you that much that he'll have somebody confront you. In 1 Corinthians chapter five, uh, starting at verse nine, it says, when I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You, should have, you, you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. <laughs> I like how the NLT puts it. He says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer and yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Now listen to this. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. So quit complaining about people who don't know Jesus. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those that from on the outside, but the scriptures say you must remove the evil person from among you. So the way that that would work in biblical times is if you would remove somebody from the church, I mean, if they just kept like dividing and dividing and dividing the church and gossiping and all this kind of stuff, when you would remove them, remember, they would meet from house to house, but then they would also meet for celebrations. They would meet for like a love feast once a month, everybody in that city. So when you remove them from the church, you didn't remove them from the Presbyterian church and then they got to walk down the road to the Methodist church. It was, you were out of the church and it wasn't to be rude to them. It was so that their sin would be exposed in their life. And then as soon as they repent, you welcome them back, just like the prodigal son. It's awesome how it works. All right, next one. Next to the last one, character assassination. This is an attack of the enemy. You're living a holy life. You're walking the walk. You have your spikes on. You have your shin guards on. You're going and advancing. And then people slander you. They lie about you. They try to ruin your reputation publicly. And now, again, this can happen from outside the church. And it is most hurtful when it happens inside the church. People say, well, this, 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 this. Just look at social media. You can connect with enough ministries that you'll see after long enough that people are accusing and you know, they're, they're criticizing and so on about who's right and who's wrong. Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. That's what's right. That's what's right. So it says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, just, I'm gonna read just pieces of this verse. It says, when we are, this is the apostles talking, when we are cursed, 
we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. You know what that is? That's an affirmation of the verse that says, as far as it is possible with you, live at peace with everyone. So instead of living at peace, what we try to do is defend our reputation. And I honestly feel like when our, when our integrity is attacked and when, when, when you're lied about and so on, first thing you wanna do is well up and protect yourself. But if you become your protector, then God can't be your protector. But if you say, okay, I'm gonna keep my eyes focused on restoration with that person and love with that person and God, like this is completely up to you to protect my reputation, he'll do it for you because you're living at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. The last attack that the enemy will try to do, remember, these are all tied back to your feet being fitted with the readiness because if the, the attack is coming out, your skins are all bruised up and hurting and swollen, you can't move forward. So the enemy will come in, he'll try to take you out at your knees in these different areas. The last one is to be a stumbling block to other people. And the defense of this is self-control, control only yourself. So at times, this might happen to you or it might be you, where a friend of yours or a family member, they'll come to you and they'll say, listen, I'm gonna take this big risk for God. I feel like God's telling me to leave my vocation to do this. I feel like I'm supposed to go on this mission trip and it's gonna cost you know, $5,000. Whatever it is, what happens is somebody will share something big with you and the other person will say, that can't happen, that's impossible. That much money, you're gonna be gone that long? God's telling you, what? Right, and what that is, is a stumbling block. It trips you up. Like you're like, I was so excited and so on fire for God and this person that's close to me that should be there to encourage me, yes, challenge me, like tripped me up. I feel like my shoelaces got tied together. It's a stumbling block. Another area that we can be a stumbling block for people is when we use our freedom in Christ, something that we're not convicted about, that we do in front of other believers that causes young believers to sin. Now, Paul was talking about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I won't read all the verses, but what he's saying, he's talking about eating certain meats that were um, sacrificed to idols and so on. It was like a lot of these laws that we can't relate to. What he was basically saying is this. If I love Big Macs, which I don't, but if I love Big Macs and a new believer thinks that eating a Big Mac is sinful, I will never eat a Big Mac again in my life. Now what we say is, I have freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. Whatever, you know, whatever isn't sinful for me isn't sinful. It's not about our rights, folks. Remember, we lay down our rights at the cross, right? So Paul's saying, I will never do this one activity again if it will cause a younger believer to sin. So yes, we can have freedom. Yes, we can have joy. Yes, we have the grace of God, but we also wanna benefit other people around us. So their shoes are fitted with readiness, so their shin guards stay on and so we can advance the kingdom together. Why don't we stand up? As we close today, Adam's just gonna sing a song over us. You can sing with him if you want, but I wanna invite our altar team down at this time. It could be pastors and elders and so on, spouses. But if you, if you just simply want to ask the Holy Spirit for more empowerment today, if you just say, listen, I just want prayer for that one thing is that I would have, I would be able to, my spikes would be sharpened, my shoes would be tight, my shin guards would be on for that empowerment and protection. I just want you to come forward as we begin to pray. And Father, I pray that you would just teach each person that's in this room how to strap on our 
war boots, how to strap on our spikes, how to be prepared, how to be fitted with readiness because we believe in your gospel and because your gospel has changed our life. I pray, Father, you teach us how to put these sin protectors on, these sin guards on, God, that we'd be protected from the enemy coming and wiping out our feet and our ankles, Lord Jesus. Father, we know you want us to have the full armor of God on. So as we speak, even right now, we believe that your Holy Spirit wants to equip us and empower us and protect us against all of the devil's schemes. So Father, we thank you, we receive it, we receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.